Good morning. Try it one more time a little louder. Good morning. There we are. Good morning, Deb. <laughs> Welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is March the 7th. Welcome to worship, everyone. A couple reminders of announcements in the bulletin. This coming week on uh, Wednesday the 10th at 7 o'clock and then 7.40, we have commission and executive committee meetings here at the church. After worship this Sunday, we are having uh, our, our first Sunday of the month hymn sing time. We are doing number 614 in the bulb. There's a flower, which is listed, but we're also doing 148 out of the songbook. There's something about that name. Big shout out to the Witness Commission and Becky Bertoft as they, they uh, had the closet downstairs yesterday. I think we had, what, about seven? Four families, eight kids. Four families, eight kids. Okay. I knew I saw at least seven kids come in, so... Oh. Wonderful. And I know we have one more person who's dropping by uh, tomorrow. So it's wonderful we have so many. Uh, thank you to the deacons who were here yesterday preparing the meal for the, the funeral of our sister, Alice Kengott, who we celebrated here yesterday. A reminder that next week, daylight savings change. We lose an hour. So just here's your heads up now. We had a bit of a moment this morning where we couldn't remember if that was this week or last week. What threw me off was that uh, Dale was going around and I saw him working on clocks yesterday for a moment and I thought maybe I had missed it. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, and, and an announcement actually from my, my wife uh, if there's anyone in the church who's having difficulty uh, getting an appointment with the COVID shot, reach out to me. She would love to help. She spent the last week helping with her dad and uh, was, would love to help out anyone else who would need a hand with it. Are there any other announcements you'd like to raise today? As we move into our times of joys and concerns, are there anything you would like to share with the group? I will say it was an absolute joy yesterday with having all the families here and celebrating the life of Alice. And that reminded me of one last announcement as I look up and I see Sister Cindy back there. Our Sister Cindy is stepping down as a deacon, but it's for good cause. She is going to be serving as the interim over at our sister congregation, Eastwood. So. Cindy, our prayers go with you, and we're going to miss you. <laughs> That's a joy for them. <laughs> well, I invite you then to raise those joys, those things that weigh on your heart to God as we listen to our opening music and prepare for a time in worship.
you'll please join me in prayer. Holy Creator, we thank you for this space that we can gather as community to worship, to pray, to sing, to learn, to grow. We pray that our hearts are ever turned towards you, growing towards the kingdom, growing towards what you have called us to be. This morning, we lift up in our hearts our brothers and sisters in need of your presence and healing. We raise up the Ken Gott and the Mischler family. We raise up Norma and Robin. We raise up all those names that sit quietly in our hearts. We lift up those names that we don't know, but we know that you are with them. We know that we are called to care for them. And as this winter slowly disintegrates into spring and the green grows again and the flowers push out of the dirt, we rejoice. The joy of the world coming alive again. And we thank you for that. And we lift up those joys in our lives, those new lives, those new friendships those changes, those growths, and thank you that we are here for them. <clears throat> Holy Creator, walk with us. Grow us, mold us, change us. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Wonderful to have you back singing again. Our scripture today is three different passages out of Mark. Might be reading it from my copy of the message. 
It's going to be 11, 12 through 14, then 20 through 24, and then chapter 13, 28 through 31. As they left Bethany the next day, he, Jesus, was hungry, and off in the distance he saw a fig tree in full leaf. He came up to it expecting to find something for breakfast, but he found nothing but fig leaves. I mean, it wasn't even the season for figs yet. He addressed the tree. No one is going to eat fruit from you again, ever. And the disciples overheard him. At evening, Jesus left, the, left and his disciples left with him from the city. In the morning, they walked along the road and they saw the fig tree shriveled up to a dry stick. Peter, remembering what had happened the previous day, said, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you have cursed has shriveled up. But Jesus was matter of fact. Embrace this God life. Really embrace it, and nothing will be too much for you. The mountain, for instance. Just say, go, jump in the lake. No shuffling, no shilly-shallying, and it will be done. That's why I urge you to pray for absolutely everything, ranging from small to large, including everything as you embrace this God life. You'll get God's everything. And when you assume the posture of prayer, remember that it's not all asking. If you have anything against someone, forgive. Only then will your sins, only then will your heavenly Father be inclined to also wipe away your slate clean. Take a lesson from the fig tree. For the moment you notice its buds form, the merest green hint, you know that summer's just around the corner, and so it is with you. When you see all these things, you know that he is at the door. Don't take this lightly. I'm not just saying this for future generations, but for this one too. These things will happen. Sky and earth will wear out. Hear my words, they won't wear out. Blessed is the word. So yesterday we were in this space celebrating the life of our sister, Alice Kengott, which I have to ask, how many people here knew that her first name was Gertrude? Yeah, less than half. How many of you didn't know that until very recently? Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> Anyway, as we were, as the family was coming in, there were a lot of folks here who had, had grown up in this church. Some aren't attending because they're at other places or moved far away. And they were telling me the stories of growing up here, of running around this church, especially as, the, as their aunt would come in with the flowers for Sunday morning. This was a second home for them, a place of joy, a place of laughter, a place of play. And they looked around and saw how things were the same and things were different. It reminded me of Tuesday nights when I was little. My dad sang in the choir, so every Tuesday night, 
my brother and I would get in the car and we'd drive over the mountain into Huntington while he sang in the choir. Eventually, Laban joined us when he was old enough to come too. Looking back on it, I see that dad built in one night a week where mom had one or no kids. That was smart of him. Anyway, we would spend that time playing in the nursery, especially with the Porcelli boys. And it was fun, playing with our friends, running around the church, learning it. And as I grew older, learning it even better, as, as I became a youth and played night games and hid underneath pews and found the closets where they never would look for you. Eventually, everyone knew to look for you there, but at least at first. Now, I remember that church perfectly in my mind. It actually is similar to the build of this church. A lot of brethren churches are like this. There's an older sanctuary section that has the kitchen and uh, the fellowship hall underneath with a couple classrooms, and then another wing that has since been built on to add more classroom space. And that was true there, except it's flipped around. The wing is on that side of the church. They have to go around the front. It meant you couldn't sneak in easily if you were uh, stayed too long for Sunday school. You had to do what Mike does whenever he sings up here. He sneak around the backside underneath. But I knew every crook and cranny of that church. I knew all the secret corners. I knew the rooms. Even to this day, I can go into one of those rooms and I can tell you which posters used to be there or what picture or where the furniture used to sit or what furniture it might have even been. But after I left and went to college, they did a major renovation. The fellowship hall beneath the sanctuary, which by the time even I was attending, it was referred to as the old hall. That's where the senior class, the, the senior adult class met. That was divided up and made into a new nursery in another room. And, and the catacomb, we referred to it, that's where the youth met because it was a little windowless room in the corner. That room was gone and now it was opened up and made into a lounge where the kids would sing music before Sunday school. The main floor of the, wing, of, the spell, of the Sunday school wing, the offices were ripped open and rebuilt, and a conference room was added, a choir room was changed, about everything moved. And it realized, I realized how that changed things when I went back to meet with my calling cohort. Now, calling cohort's the group you meet with and your travel towards licensing with ministry. And there was Pastor Ben, who has been pastor there maybe at this point, maybe three years. At that point, like a year or so. And there was Brooke, who had been my youth leader when I was in youth group. And David, who had been a mentor, a longtime mentor of mine. All three attended this church. I mean, obviously, Pastor Ben attended the church. So I go in, and after a little bit of difficulty, I find Ben's office. It's not in the same place that it used to be. <laughs> but I find Ben's office, and he's like, oh, yes, we're meeting uh, over in the llama cat room. 
دوباره فهمه لاما کات What is a llama cat? I went into the room and I eventually figured out and he told me and all that and they have a picture of these pictures of llamas with cat heads. I don't know why they didn't put a llama head on a cat, but anyway. What it ended up being was it was the third and fifth grader class and they couldn't decide whether they were going to be called the cats or the llamas. So they became the llama cats. It was strange to sit in there because I didn't even know where I was going. Like he told me, we're going to meet in the llama cat room. I'm like, I have no idea where that is. I know everything about this church and I have no idea what you're talking about. It was the nursery. It's that room I had spent so many hours playing with the, the Porcelli brothers and my brothers. It made no sense to me because it was now something completely different. I didn't figure it out. And I realized that You know, Ben, of course, had no idea that this used to be the nursery because it had been changed well before. But even Brooke and David didn't really remember that it had once been the nursery. They had been there before the renovation, but most of their time in this church had been since the renovation. And they didn't remember the nursery had once sat in there. It was a little sad, realizing I held on to a memory that most people didn't have anymore. kind of curious if even my parents remember what room used to be whose and all that. That's the march of time. Time keeps going forward. Buildings change. Sometimes there are small changes, new sound systems, new projectors, new cameras. Sometimes there are whole new wings, rooms completely redone that don't look anything like you once remembered. But I mean, we change too. We, we get taller, and then eventually we stop and we get shorter. We get hairier, we get less hairier. Some are worse than others. We have new lives come into ours. We have beloved lives that leave ours. Such as existence, such as time. It moves ever on, ever forward, and we change with it. The only permanence in this material world is the fact that everything is impermanent. Everything changes. The only constant is God. Time. You know, that's why this story is interesting to me, because it's all about time at the beginning. I mean, Jesus is God incarnate. You know, God who created everything, including fig trees. Not only that, Jesus grew up in Palestine. He was perfectly aware that there is a season for figs in Palestine. He would have known that there was no way there would be a fig on that poor tree. And yet he goes up to it and seems to be surprised that there's not a fig. Okay. You got to actually look. I'm, I'm telling those first two readings are part two and part four of a four-part series. You see, right before this, the reason that Jesus was walking out of Jerusalem that day and saw the tree 
was that was the day he first went into Jerusalem. It was what we celebrate as Palm Sunday. And as he walked into the city, and people shouted hallelujah and threw down the palms and robes, it took him a while to get to the temple. So he just kind of gets to the temple, realizes it's already too late in the day, and turns around and goes out. And that's when he sees the fig. And then immediately after this story, Jesus goes back into Jerusalem. It's the next morning. And he goes up to the temple. And it's become a den of inequity. There are people making a buck off of faith. There are people wielding and abusing power through the temple. And of course, he gets angry. And I honestly, I don't remember if this is just in, if Mark, this happens, or if it's just in the other versions. But we all know he throws people out, and he may or may not, in Mark, I can't remember, grab a whip and start whipping at people too. He's pretty mad, to say the least. And then it's right after that he comes out and he sees this fig tree, and Peter says, look, it's withered. The fig tree, of course, is symbolic. Symbolic of what has happened at the temple. Jesus knew fully well that when he was approaching that fig tree that there weren't going to be any figs. Jesus isn't dumb. He knows it's not fig season any more than I can go outside right now to an apple tree and expect to find an apple. It's just not going to happen. Or at least not an apple I want to eat. But still, he went to look. Perhaps, perhaps there's a fig, just a chance. Just like Jesus had to go up to the temple. Jesus is fully aware before he goes to the temple what is happening there. It's not a surprise the next day when he walks in. He still had to check. He still had to see if it was really as bad as he thought. Perhaps, perhaps he'd find a piece of fruit, a fig, something good at the temple. But no. The temple is the highest, holiest spot in all of his faith. If you jump back a couple millennia and you approach the first version of the temple, the tabernacle, the tent temple, that was built out in the wilderness by Moses. Now, that temple, that tabernacle, was dangerous. If you touched the wrong thing, you died. If you went in through the wrong gate, you died. The power of God was too thick, too pungent. It could kill you. In fact, when they are sanctifying the tabernacle for the first time, two of Aaron's sons, the high priest, two of his sons, pick up their censers. It's those metal things you put incense in, and then you add hot coals to it to make it smoke. Well, they took coals from the wrong fire, an unsanctified fire. And because of that, fire came out of the tabernacle and killed them. It was dangerous. I mean, just look a few centuries later. And when the 
the Ark of the Covenant, which had been captured by the Philistines, when it's recovered, a man walking alongside it as it's being carried in a cart, notices it's going to tip and fall. And he reaches out to save the Ark, and he touches it, and he dies. You don't mess with these things. You don't touch them. They're too powerful. But then we get to the time of Jesus to the second temple. And things have changed. Things have gotten bad. Yes, it was a beautiful building. It was probably more beautiful than the temple that Solomon originally built. It lacked a few things. The ark had been lost. The menorah, the table, all those things that had once been carried in the tabernacle, they were gone too. New ones had to have been made. But... It was rotten. It was rotten in the core. This place where people were supposed to come and worship God. This place where they were to bring money and goods to this place that it would support the Levitical community, but also support the needy and the poor. To the system that was even built to make sure that the needy and the poor had a way to be atoned with God. It had become a money-making spot. Wealth and power had consumed the leadership of the temple, the people who came to the temple. And instead of standing there and worshiping God, they were standing there saying, look at me, look how wonderful I am. I'm praying before the temple, worship me. Or rather, I'm worshiping myself. It may have been that same beautiful fig tree on the outside, but the inner core had rotted out. Jesus is using this fig tree he finds along the outside of the city to teach us that lesson. That it needs to grow something. We need to grow, to change, to update, to not be rotted on the inside. And to be aware of that. Because yes, change is good and change is bad. I mean, that's just the nature of it. We all move along in time. And sometimes we get better and sometimes we don't. I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> now you're all staring at me. Why are you all staring at me? <laughs> oh, I, I have, I've been having senior moments since I was 20. Not since I was two. Anyway. <laughs> now I'm thinking about it, and I'm getting myself really off track. Okay. Sometimes change is good, and sometimes change is bad, and sometimes change is just change, and it just is. This is one of those days I was in the spirit and I got myself out of it. I'm trying to connect back in. Okay. The problem is I went completely off notes. 
sometimes you decide that you're going to go off your notes because you feel the movement going that way. And it works really well. And sometimes you get to a point and you realize you don't know where you're going anymore. And you hope the spirit comes back in and pulls you in the right direction. So I'm going to start pushing and we'll see if the spirit grabs a hold again. thing is, as we move into that, that second part of the passage, Jesus reminds us to pray. And that the power of prayer is amazing. It can do things that we don't even imagine. He connects it with the fact that the fig tree has died. But he says prayer can move mountains as well. Prayer can change us. Prayer can change this world. Prayer can move us. Imagine, imagine if those people, as they stood before the temple, as they stood before the holiest spot in all of Judaism, the spot where they believed that heaven and earth connected, that God would sit there. Imagine if they had prayed with all their might. Instead of saying, look at me, I'm praying, they said, God, walk with me. God, change me. God, make this place a holy place again. You see, the temple wasn't itself wrong. The temple wasn't a bad place. It was the hearts of those who went there. But instead of praying, instead of moving towards God. They prayed for themselves. They prayed to themselves. They prayed to the community that they would see them there praying and being holy and that they would be respected for it. They prayed for a change, but they prayed for a different change than what God wanted, what God calls us to. And their prayers were answered. They got exactly what they wanted. They got noticed. They got power. They got wealth. But they didn't get what God wanted. What we strive to want today, to pray to be changed closer to the way of God, closer to what Jesus calls us to be. Because it's true, we are impermanent. My body my life will continue to change. I'm only 34 at this point. I know I'm not going to look like this forever, which is a little sad because I, mean, I at least could stand to lose a little of this. <laughs> I'll pray on that one. We are changing, and we will continue to change. But God is constant. God is there. And all we have to do is ask and work and pray for it. You know, this is the unexpected Messiah. Mark's Jesus is the Messiah that doesn't come here to give us what we want. God, this is the Messiah who comes to give us what we need. And what we happen to need is a good kick in the butt sometimes. To say, look, 
It's not about this fancy building here. It's not about who sees you there. It's not about see who sees you pray, who sees you give money. It's about your heart. It's about your inner inside. It's about your soul. And it's about you turning your heart and your soul on towards God, towards the way of God, and accepting the fact that, yes, you'll change, but that change should be towards God and not towards the things you wish for for yourself. So we know that's where it goes. There are those who slowly throughout the passages shift and turn and look towards God and grow to be wonderful, great people. I think of Paul. Paul, who was obsessed with tradition, with lines of succession, with rules. But he encounters God and his prayers change. They change to fit towards God's mold, towards improving himself and making this world a better place. I've never been one to be someone that says, you know, you need to just get on your knees, just get on your knees. I've just never been that kind of person. I know some people are, and more power to you. But I do want to implore you. Maybe you don't have to get on your knees. I know there's a few people here whose knees probably shouldn't be gotten on. But when you encounter things in this world, remember that God doesn't, isn't asking you to raise up yourself. God is asking you to raise things up to God to be okay with turning away from wealth and power and privilege and all those kinds of things and to look to God and say, look, God, your will be done. I accept the fact that I'm not perfect. None of us are. And I'm also not who I was yesterday. And I pray that tomorrow I'll be closer to what you have called me to be. So kick me in the butt, God. Push me in the right direction. Because your prayer, my prayer with you, I know, can move mountains, and I'm a lot smaller than a mountain, even if my heart isn't always in the right place. Push me. Thank you.
This is a slightly different version, but I wanted to read this. This is how Matthew, how uh, Eugene Peterson translates Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best as you do above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do as, you're, as you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. God, as we walk out of here, Help us to remember you're in charge. Help us to praise and to pray that our hearts will be moved into change. Even if that means that, like the mountain, they need to get jumped off into the lake. Amen. I would like to remind you that we are going to have some hymn time after this, uh, there is going to be some space, so if you're uncomfortable with staying for singing, uh, you're able to, to, to leave, and I'll be seeing you at the door. Amen.